And this is View the Valley's podcast, episode 22 with TJ Hoover and Chris Smith. TJ, how are you doing? Oh, man, I cannot wait for this season to finally start. It feels like it's the season that will not get here. And uh, I still have my doubts, so I guess November 25th gets here. I'll finally feel like it's actually started. But you know how it is watching these other sports. We just feel like you started, you stop, you started, you stop, especially watching college football. You know, some big games are canceled this weekend, so I worry about that too. But, uh, you know, just keep keep pushing forward and act like it's going to happen until someone tells me otherwise. So how about you? How are you doing today? Not doing too bad. Uh, I tell you what, a lot of people probably think we had just up and quit the podcast, but turns out we had some technical difficulties behind the scenes. We had recorded a podcast and for whatever reason could not get it uploaded. I, I probably tried doing it for like two weeks and still could not get it up here. So eventually just said the heck with it, scrapped it and well, we're back at it now, so hopefully smooth well, sailing here. Yeah, well, I think episode 21, people can see that. Say, hey, after that interview, we're just going to drop the mic and walk away. You know, the one we had with Marcus Wilson, and, uh, <laughs> you know, we're not going to top it. Here we go. We're done. <laughs> that, was, that was a good interview. We have people probably thinking, wow, some good stories there. They're like, well, that's the best. We're done. <laughs> <laughs> just, just walk out on top, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, no, I'm uh, – been doing pretty good uh been watching a lot of college football and uh nfl recently uh i know it's probably been a couple weeks since we were on but simo and carbondale had a good football game that went down all the way to the end of the game yep Uh, and even then a southern illinois kid you know from i believe it's johnston city kicks the game winning field goal so you know we those of us from southern illinois and went to siu like we take pride in those guys they're staying home and and come up big for us so uh undefeated for 2020 that's what i can say about uh southern illinois football yeah you can also say they're undefeated for what the next five months like two months i think they're gonna start in february oh february okay so i think there's actually a day where siu football plays at home and then uh, the, the men's basketball team plays at home it's like wow if we can get in both of those that's a double double dip for one trip down to carbondale yeah that'd be pretty cool uh, yeah yeah it was great to see uh see that game go on i didn't get to watch most of it but i think semo was ranked 25th at the fcs level and carbondale was 24th and i saw that right. spread come out and it was carbondale plus 10 and a half i'm like hmm Nothing against Carbondale, but this should be a lot close closer of a game, I would feel, especially with all the limitations and restrictions of practices and stuff. I'd like to bet this. Well, can't because Carbondale's an Illinois school, so you can't bet any game that involves an Illinois school on uh you know, on the sports books here. Oh so I'm not like, aware of that. Yeah, so I'm like, well so, I would have had free money there. But well, did out. you did you realize it was a friend of the show, Connor Onion, doing the play-by-play for that game as well? Yeah, yeah, it did. I think what cracked me up, though, is trying to watch the game and listen to it a little bit. But he kept, they both, he and his partner, both kind of got over, um, overridden, I guess would be the word, by the PA announcer. It's like, and I've done some PA work in my, myself, but maybe it's just because there's nobody in there, but it's like, wow, you are really loud, considering there's only about, you know, 500 people in there and they're all parents so you, you don't have to be that loud and maybe it's just working out the sound but uh it was interesting to listen to connor after our discussion with him this summer and uh, sure. kind of exciting too you know but truth be told 
Yeah, it was. Uh, he does a great job for uh, Carbondale, and then airing it on uh, ESPN Plus. That's for sure. Yep. So we'll get into the episode here, TJ. Uh, during today's episode, we'll break down a couple team previews from each conference. I think TJ, you have two from the Missouri Valley, and I have two from the Ohio Valley. We'll also get into uh, some of the, I guess, notes and news surrounding the leagues. And we'll get into the non-conference schedules that have been released and some of the projections that we have seen come out uh, for the Missouri Valley and the Ohio Valley. But first things first, TJ, we'll get into the team previews here. I'll let you go first with your first one for the Missouri Valley. Okay, well, we're going alphabetical. So, uh, as always, start with the Bradley Braves. Uh, NBC Media Day, they were projected to finish third, which, uh, you know, is pretty, I think is pretty accurate. Last year, they went 23 and 11, 11 and 7 in conference play, finished fourth in the regular season. But I think a key thing there is that they were missing uh, their star player, Elijah Child. And I think that was just a, a big piece for them to kind of keep the ship afloat, so to speak. Then obviously they win uh, Arch Madness again in one of the few conferences that got to finish their conference tournament. And I mean, you could say that the uh, road, the road, the major roadblocks were knocked down because you know Loyola and Northern Iowa being the top two seeds, they lose on the second day of the tournament, their first game. So made it an, an easier route from that standpoint. But be a really hot Valparaiso team. Uh, key returners, obviously Elijah Child. Sean Henry, I've, I've talked about him before. He's just one of those guys. I think I'd like to, to at the end of the year, maybe have like an all-blue collar team. And I think Sean Henry right now would be my captain. And then Daniel Kingsby as well. Uh, key losses, they're losing Daryl Brown and Nate Cannell. And I think that's going to be huge for their perimeter game. And, you know, kind of their leadership as well. I think Daryl and, and Nate did a lot to keep the, the team on the straight and narrow once they went through those those injuries with Elijah and Daryl had his own injuries as well. And then one of the great names in the league over the last few years, Koch Barr, he's graduated as well. Sure. And, uh, you know, I think him being inside is going to be a big thing. So looking towards this season, I think Koch Barr may be uh, the greatest impact on this team because of the inside presence. Because, you know, you look at other teams in the conference, you have Crutwig at Loyola, you have Prim at Missouri State, and then Austin Fife at uh, Northern Iowa, you know, and those are all guys that you have to think about. You know, that's six games right there going against those guys. And last year, Coach Wardle uh, liked to alternate Barr and Ari Boya. Ari Boya is obviously coming back this year. So so can he play significant minutes and stay out of foul trouble? I mean, that's going to be a big key for the Braves because if he's not – in there to be able to guard those guys. Now you're looking, maybe Elijah Child has to do that. And, you know, do you want your star player, your star offensive uh, player doing those types of things? So that's always something that I kind of worry about for, for Bradley. Um, you know, they do seem to have replaced the, the perimeter scoring of Brown and Cannell because they have Sean East coming from UMass. And then Terry Nolan is a sat out last year when he came in from George Washington and Kevin McAdoo's same kind of situation from Eastern Michigan. So you know, how do those guys adjust this league play? You know, Sean East has gotten his waiver to play this season, which, you know, like John Rothstein says, the NCAA seems to be handing those out like uh, candy on Halloween. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think end of the day, the season goes as Elijah Child goes. 
last year, like I said, Brown and Cannell, they keep they kept them on on the on the right track. And you guys, their senior leadership. I don't know if they have those guys this year. It's not to say they don't. It's just you know, I I felt like Brown really played with a chip on his shoulder last year. Like he always had something to prove. Uh, was pretty vocal. I think he was picked preseason second team and kind of took that to heart last year. And uh, I I really like watching him play. You know, the kid out of Memphis. So I think third is is a, a good projection for them. You know, could they sneak in there and get to the two? Yeah, but I don't know if they can finish at the top of the league. And I think anything below fifth, I think it would probably be a disappointment for Bradley from my perspective. So, but, you know, if Coach can keep them, keep them close like he has the last couple of years and win three games in March, and, uh, you know, hopefully they'll see that as another successful season and get to play in the tournament. So, Well, yeah, I think – I think seeing how things go early on in this non-conference stretch will kind of help give Bradley a good identity on what they could be this year. Um, mm-hmm. Just seeing how everybody's got to overcome these hurdles, and it's not like one team really has a leg up on the other. So it's kind of like it's going to be kind of like an even match, even if a team is supposed to be favored over a certain team, that that underdog has a chance to go in and steal a win. I mean, we've seen that plenty of times in college football already this year. Right. And how how the atmosphere has had has had no role for the team at home, you know. So if you're right. if you're a mid major school going on the road, you know, it's wide open this year to get a lot of road wins. I mean, there it's there's no there's no saying yeah. that you know it's going to be tough. It's going to be a lot easier than years past. Yeah, for sure. I think there's going to be some things that are going to play into the hands of the underdog more than anything. So you know. Um, I just I think Bradley people have got to be excited with what they've seen the last two years and hopefully that they can convert on some of those things like I think I don't know you're obviously more the Ohio Valley fan than I am the Missouri Valley fan but I think there's like this feeling that I want all the teams in the Valley to do really well except when they play my team <laughs> yeah <laughs> like you know, you can go. You can go eighteen and two or sixteen and two in conference play. But I want those two losses to be against Southern Illinois. Yeah. So uh, Bradley's going to play in what they're calling the the Xavier Invitational. They're going to start off with uh, Toledo on that opening day, which I think is kind of an exciting thing. They're going to have like an opening day of the whole season instead of kind of being scattered. Then they're going to play Xavier on Thanksgiving. So they're going to play three games in three days. So Toledo on Wednesday, Xavier on Thursday, and then. Oakland on that Friday, so they have a you know a pretty decent stretch there just to start the season. You know, I think who knows what the rules will be at uh, at Xavier's campus about getting people in and things like that. And then uh, you know their non conferences you know, they play in uh, Judson, then St. Joseph's out of the uh, A ten, South Dakota State. And then Jackson State, and then Miami, Ohio, out of the MAC, and then the big one is is that they're going to Columbia, Missouri, to play Mizzou on December twenty second. That's how they're right now scheduled to round out their uh, non conference season. So, yeah, that's uh, that should be a fun non conference schedule for them. That's for sure. Yeah, I think that Mizzou game could be really big for them. You know, I think it's uh, kudos to Coach Martin and letting them come down there and play, especially after. Kind of back and forth with Missouri State, uh, you know. I have a side note here. 
I was disappointed to see they're not going to play the Mizzou Illinois bragging rights game at the Enterprise Center yep. this year. Yeah, I was I was disappointed to see that as well. I was really hoping yeah. they'd be able to find a way to you know let it be played. You know whether yep. it was just a decrease on fans or even if there was no fans, I don't know. But it would yeah. been great to at least see that uh, rivalry game uh, being played. I, I have heard they're going to try and play it anyway. Just it's going to be on campus of one school or the other. Okay. So, but it's, it'd be a sad to see that tradition kind of have to at least take a take a pause for a year. Yeah, especially for uh, St. Louis. Uh, but the first team I got for the Ohio Valley, as you said, alphabetical order, uh, I got Austin P. And last year they went twenty-one and twelve overall, fourteen and four for the Ohio Valley Conference record. They're coached by Matt Figger, and Matt Figger's done a great job at Austin P. And yeah, this is what his fourth year there. Yeah, this will be his fourth year, and two of his first three years, they've had uh, twenty-one seasons. So, and if you really sit back and digest what he was coming into, he was having to basically take over, you know, some big shoes with, you know, Dave Luce, basically the right. the name of the Ohio Valley. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he was there for years and years. So Matt Figger had to come in and basically make a name for himself because the tradition was Dave Luce. And now it's like, uh-huh. okay, now you got to have somebody else. And Matt Figger... He's done a great job at Austin P. He's kind of got that bulldog mentality as a coach. You know, he he'd coached under Frank Martin, you know, a little bit at South Carolina, and I I don't want to say there's a full resemblance there, but you can kind of see some of the <laughs> so you can kind of see some of the uh, some of the mannerisms are, are there, and I think uh, you know Frank Martin's a great mentor um, to have on young coaches, and I think Matt right. Figure learning under him only going to help Austin P you know, from these past couple of years and will help them get better as they, uh, as they continue under the Matt figure era. But coach figures got two key returning players. And the first one, Terry Taylor, he'll be a senior this year, nearly had 22 points per game last year, averaged about 11 rebounds. So he was averaging a double, double per game last year and arguably the best player in the Ohio Valley conference. And when you look at the preseason favorites. He is the preseason OVC Player of the Year right now. Was he? Wasn't he OVC Player of the Year last year? Yes. Yeah. So definitely, uh, you putting up those kind of numbers. That's definitely going to be deserving of those kind of accolades. And I think as a for a second year, it's almost it would be disappointing if you didn't get it the second year, don't you? Sure, especially as a senior. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you so. get it as a junior, and then. Like, oh, that should be a slam dunk as a senior one. Yeah. Um, But outside of Terry Taylor, uh, it's kind of a one-two punch. They got Jordan Adams, too. He'll be a sophomore, averaged just over 17 points per game and over three rebounds last year. But his key area, he was able to step out and hit the three-pointer, which kind of opened things up for Terry Taylor and the governor's offense. He had 63 pointers last year, and... You know, that was basically just as a freshman. So seeing what Adams is going to do as a sophomore this year, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he's over 20 points per game this year to see that he put up over 17 as a freshman. And with Uh Terry Taylor being as good as he is, if you're double-teaming Taylor, somebody else is going to be wide open. So it's going to be hard for defenses to say, hey, we want to take away Terry Taylor. 
well, that's great. You take away him. Now you have Jordan Adams, who was also, you know, preseason uh, All-OVC nomination uh, going into this season. So those are two of the key players for for Austin P returning. And when you look at their schedule, their full non-conference schedule I haven't I have not seen yet. However, they do open the season in the Gulf Coast showcase, which is November 25th through the 27th. And a couple of those teams in that uh, event are Nebraska Omaha, Indiana State, and East Carolina. And there's a few more on the other side of the bracket, but I believe Austin P's guaranteed to play at least two of those teams. Then that third one will come from somebody else on the other side, which there's, I think, East Tennessee State, Akron, Middle Tennessee, and there was another one as well. So I think – go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just going to say, I think one of the big things, you know, one of the uh, unknown factors, if you will, wild cards, like, he brought in a lot of size this year. They have Mike Peak out of Georgia, six mm-hmm. eight. Uh, Corbin Merritt out of Oklahoma, six eight. While their numbers for playing, you know, uh, Power Five are not great by any stretch of the imagination. You wonder what those guys can do at this level. And then uh, is it Murdy Mongozi, the six mm-hmm. ten JUCO transfer? They said he had seventy five blocks last year in just two hundred eighty six minutes. Yeah. So I I, I kind of think that the block shot can be. Uh, an overstated stat, you know, like, Oh, he's a great defender. Cause he blocks shots. But I think when you get then maybe that's the high school coach in me. <laughs> I think we get to the college level. That's a big thing. It allows your guards to play a lot more aggressively when you know, you have six ten and they're ready to protect the rim. Like, Oh, maybe I don't want to drive in there. I'll pull up and take a 15 footer instead of driving straight to the rim. So I think that'll be a huge uh, factor for them. If they can get those guys, and, you know, like just like I was talking about with, with Bradley, didn't seem to have that. Well, here you have three guys that seem like they could really step up, and then they have another 6'8 freshman as well. So lots of size, especially for a league like the OVC. Well, and having guys around the rim in the OVC that are, you know, known to have a lot of blocked shots, it seems like the teams that win the Ohio Valley or compete up at the top of the Ohio Valley always have a guy in there that can block shots around mm-hmm. the rim. And this that could be a key area for Austin P if they want to win some close games. You know, their offense is going to be good, but their defense might decide if they're going to win a couple games that they shouldn't. Now, when you right. see when you see the preseason rankings, you know, Austin P, you know, f- basically favored to win the Ohio Valley Conference. Now, Murray State did have more first place votes than Austin P, but I mean, basically it's about a tie, I guess, because they both had 226 points according to the Ohio Valley uh, conference page. And right. But that that's just that's just going to show you it's going to be a fun league, I think. You know, a lot of people are used to Murray State and Belmont being up at, being up at the top, but Austin P, they might be one of the best mid-major schools if everything goes right in 2000 during 2020 season. And yeah, I think it's it's the same idea that, you know, a rising tide raises all ships so that hopefully now you get another team that's in there kind of getting some of the national attention that now you have three programs that people can easily recognize and that gets other people to buy into like these you know now your second tier teams that you might have in your league i think that it can only help the league sure you know those guys doing those types of things agreed so that's the first one on my list we'll go with your second one there tj 
Okay, so I had Drake, and I, you know, last season, excuse me, this season they're projected to finish seventh. And uh, last year they went 20 and 14, 8 and 10 in the league, finished eighth, but they lost in the turn- tournament semifinals to Bradley. So, uh, one thing that I don't know if I've shared this with you, but I think since they've gone to the 10 team tournament, the Arch Madness, only one team had ever made it from Thursday. So you have your. Uh, seven, eight, nine, and ten teams playing on Thursday. There's only been one team that ever made it from Thursday to Saturday, and this last year there were two of them, with uh, Drake being one of them and Valparaiso being the other one. So it's just really crazy to see that happening. So they, you know, obviously they get the big win over their in-state rival of of Northern Iowa at the tournament. That's a, that was a huge upset because you know a lot of people had Northern Iowa and uh, Loyola, Pennsylvania to play the championship. Uh, key returners, DJ Wilkins, uh, Noah Thomas, and Garrett Sturtz, and uh, Tramel. Oh, I forgot his last name. I mistyped that there. Tramel Murphy. So uh, all big key players for them from last year, and they could really make an impact for Drake this year. Tramel Murphy uh, had some off-court issues, and then when he did come back, he got injured right away, so he was able to redshirt, and he'll come back to them. And then their their big losses are Tramel's twin brother, Anthony, and then Liam Robbins. I think that's one of the big stories this season, uh, maybe outside of Javon Freeman Liberty leaving uh, Valparaiso in terms of key losses. I think that's the biggest question for the Bulldogs, is how do they replace Liam Robbins, 6'10 in the middle, you know, he went to Minnesota. He was 14 points per game and seven rebounds. But again, you can you can look at his stats, but who do you put inside against those other bigs in the league? Her leading returning rebounder is Garrett Sturts, who's six three. You know, so you have a huge drop off there. So I think they'll be looking at uh, a couple of fresh bodies there. There's Darnell Brody, who was a junior transfer from Seton Hall. He got his. There were some questions about his transfer, getting his waiver, but he did get that. He's at six ten. Didn't I think he played three games last year at mm-hmm. Seton Hall? So again, one of those guys coming from a different conference. Does that translate? Not always, but you'd hope so. I mean, you look at this guy; he's just physically put together. Uh, I think if there's one thing he said about uh, Liam, he's probably a little too lean. You're not going to say that if you see Darnell Brody coming mm-hmm. at you. And then um, they had a six-seven redshirt freshman that he redshirted last year, Issa Samaki. I hope I'm saying that correctly. And his junior year of high school, he averaged nine and a half boards per game, and his senior year, he averaged ten and a half uh, rebounds per game. So hopefully that translates to to playing at the next level. You know that those are some pretty good stats put up. Uh, you know I'm not sure what his competition was. But you get into the glass. I think there's, you know, kind of sometimes you can just kind of have that Dennis Rodman mentality of, you know, that instinct of reading the ball off the rim, knowing where guys are going to miss, things like that. And any little bit's going to help. Um, I think what it's going to come down to, though, is since they're more guard heavy, they're going to have to get after other teams in the half court. You know, uh, I had a guy teach me years ago that the philosophy is like, you know, it doesn't matter how many guys we put around their post players. If he can't get the ball, he can't score. So get after him in the half court, make him handle the basketball, and don't let those guys quarterback the ball in to the likes of uh, Cameron Crutwig and those guys. And that's what you can uh, do to prevent that when you don't have that size. So 
lot of experience with Penn and Murphy and Thomas coming back. And like I said, Thomas is coming off of that, uh, uh, that injury. And uh, I guess it was Murphy came off that injury. I need to double check that. Yeah, it's Murphy coming off of the injury that he had the injury problems last year. So, and off court problems, not Noah Thomas. It was Tremel Murphy had those problems. So, you know, he also dealt with that injury. So that's what allowed him to redshirt and come back this year. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it, it going back to, you know, Brody, you know, I watched Seton Hall play a lot last year and Seton Hall, very good team. They lost a couple games they shouldn't have lost, but they had one of the best players in the country on that team in Miles Powell. And when you looked at Miles Powell and some of the other guys on that team, like Obiagu um, and a couple other guys, Sandro Mount, Mamo Kalashvili, um, there, there was some big size on that team. And I think that only, that only helped Brody you know, when he was playing, you know, or not playing, but, you know, in practice, he was going up against right. one of the best offenses with some key playmakers on there. And I think with him going up against that and being coached by Kevin Willard, I think that's only going to translate to having what should be some pretty good success in the Missouri Valley Conference. And yeah, I hope so. You know, you, you said that they lost Robbins, but I think Brody will be a, you know, Brody should be a good uh, pickup for the Missouri Valley in that aspect. Yep. As far as Drake's non-conference, the only thing they're putting on their website right now is, uh, was it the Little Apple uh, Classic that they're calling it, where they're going to take on Kansas State and South Dakota State. That'll be the days before and after Thanksgiving. So, I mean, if you want... You want to spend some time in the middle of nowhere. You can go to Manhattan, Kansas, <laughs> and uh, you know I've I've driven by it a couple of times. That's about that's about as close as I'm going to get. I think <laughs> just keep on driving. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, that'll be a that'll be a fun time for uh, college basketball. That just yep. just turns out I got to work a lot during that week, so I might miss some of the games, which is unfortunate. But be a lot of basketball I may, games. I may not move from my couch. I may have to get the multiple TV set up, see how that get that going, and, and really dig in for a few days. I hope you have fun doing that. Just think of me when you're uh, sitting on your couch <laughs> watching four games at once. Definitely, for sure. Uh, the other one I got, I got Belmont here. Um, Belmont. Are they any good? I, I haven't heard of that program. Uh, I've heard they're on the up and up. Um, okay. There's been whispering about that they've been good in the past, but – you know, there was some skepticism there regarding uh, if they were ever going to get uh, less than 25 <laughs> wins a season. Yeah. So, yeah, Belmont during the 1920 season, they finished 26 and 7, went 15 and 3 in the Ohio Valley, coached by Casey Alexander, who came over from Lipscomb. And he's got a couple key returners. One, Nick Muzinski, center for him, averaged over 15 points per game last year. But I could see his point production skyrocketing this year, and I'll get to that in a minute. But he was 16th nationally in field goal percentage, almost 60% from the floor, and had a lot of block shots as well, over one and a half per game. Also, Grayson Murphy returns, 
averaged just below 10 points per game last year. And, you know, both these players, they're going to be juniors this year. So, you know, what they did as, you know, sophomores, it should it should increase this year. But the big part of why their point production and overall production should increase, Belmont lost a key player in Adam Kunkel. You know, he was right. basically their go-to guy last year. He averaged 16.5 points per game. He was the heart and soul of that offense. And he's now going to be taking his talents to Xavier. So that was one of the guys we had touched on in one of our first episodes when we started doing this months months back. And seeing how Kunkel thrived in this offense, you know, really just made you wonder why he was transferring. Maybe he just wanted to play in a bigger conference. You know, so be it. Hopefully it will translate and he'll be just as good as he was in the Ohio Valley. But time will tell. But with his point production leaving, that means other players have to step up. And and Muzinski and Murphy are two great candidates to see their points uptick. Yeah, they were good last year, but they're the two guys that are going to be looked on to say, hey, we're going to need you guys as leaders this year. You know, you're now basically an upperclassman, and you've both been, you know, they were both picked as a all-OVC nomination. Uh, Murphy was first-team all-OVC team for this year preseason, and Muzinski was a first-team all-OVC in 2018-19 and all-newcomer team in 2018-19. So both have some nominations there, and and are worthy of, you know, those awards. So I think Casey Alexander will have Belmont, you know, ready to go once, uh, you know, that first non-conference game gets here and you know, what's going to happen They're They're going to get up and down the floor. They're going to shoot threes. So hopefully they're able to overcome the loss of Adam Kunkel if they are, which I think they will be able to, because it seems like every year when, you know, Rick Bird was there, They'd have a great three-point shooter. He'd graduate. Then they'd just slide somebody else in, and he'd jack up about 200 threes and, you know, would make quite a bit of them. So I think they'll be just fine. Um, Don't know too much about their non-conference schedule. Haven't seen much out there yet. I think I saw something about maybe a home-and-home with Duquesne. Um, But if they want to be able to compete with Austin P, they're going to have to overcome the loss of Adam Kunkel. Right. I think they definitely have some big shoes there to to fill with Kunkel. Uh, But look at their roster. They don't have a senior. Now they've got four redshirt juniors. So you're looking at conceivably they could have this entire roster back for the next two years with the new rule. Actually, you know, if you include this year for the next three years. Yeah. Right. They're having a junior year this year, their senior year next year, and then an extra year the year after. Well, and and that's that's key for Casey Alexander as, you know, Terry Taylor. He's a senior for Austin P. So while Austin P should be good this year, um, the the year after it's unknown with Terry Taylor's great athleticism and ability to score will have uh, moved on to hopefully, you know, to a professional team. And now, right. you know, Belmont with hopefully barring anybody transferring should be able to slide right in and compete for another, you know, OVC championship. Because as of right now, you had Austin P and Murray State who had uh, nine and ten first place votes. Um, 
for the two schools. Belmont was the only other school in the Ohio Valley that received first place votes, and they received five. So with right. Austin P. and Murray State f- finishing with 226 points of votes, Belmont was third with 214. So right now, Belmont's picked to finish third. And I think if you would ask anybody if who would be their top three to finish top three, I think everybody would probably say Austin P., Murray State, and Belmont. However, um, Eastern Kentucky proved a lot last year, so that they're not going to be a slouch. And, you know, we had eight, Coach A.W. Hamilton on earlier, and he's excited for the season. So you know there's going to be some teams right there in the middle, Coach A.W. Hamilton's Colonels and, you know, Eastern Illinois got a they're going to have a heavy uh, upperclassman team so you're going to have it's going to be a fun year I think in the Ohio Valley and I think it's going to be you know it might be top heavy but I think those teams up near the top are going to be really fun to watch one thing I found interesting is uh, one website uses a great resource it's called three man weave and they've done uh, really good in-depth previews of every conference or they work on it at least they have this kid luke smith is a d3 transfer they're projecting him to be in their starting lineup you know that'll be i wonder what that jump will be like i'm not sure where he played his d3 ball but i feel like that's a huge jump to go from d3 to playing in the ovc but they said he shot the three at like a 48 percent clip so you know maybe he fits right in maybe belmont is the place for him to be because he can get up you know he can get up the floor and let guys drive and kick to him, and he can be that spot-up shooter like you talked about that uh, Belmont loves to do. So it'll be really interesting. I, I'll, just because I've seen some D3 basketball, uh, I, I'd probably keep an eye on that kid just because it'd be interesting to see how he transfers. And it's 43%, not 48%, so I apologize. Well, even still, I mean, you shoot over 40%. I mean, that's yep. that's pretty yep. good. Doesn't matter what, what level you're playing at, in my opinion. Agreed. Um yeah, so that was a couple of team breakdowns we got for you this episode. Um, we'll move into uh, some of the news and notes surrounding the Ohio Valley, and we'll go ahead and knock off, knock out the uh, the predicted order of finish for the Ohio Valley. We already said that Austin P and Murray State were tied for first, then Belmont was three, but then you got Eastern Kentucky, Eastern Illinois, and Tennessee State. That rounds out the top six, and then you got Coach. Ray Harper's Jacksonville State Gamecocks at 7, Moorhead State, Tennessee Tech, UT Martin at 10, and then SIUE and SEMO round out the 11 and 12 spot. And and when you look at that, you know, SIUE and SEMO both kind of have, you know, some new coaches there. They're under new leadership, and, you know, especially SEMO, who, you know, picked to finish, you know, dead last, I think – New coach, uh, Coach Brad Korn, uh, I think he can sit back and just kind of, I don't want to say relax, but there's no pressure on him right now. So he can get in there, right. get his mindset, get his coaching philosophy to the players. And if it takes if it takes a year, it takes a year because, you know, nobody's really picking them to finish, you know, you know up at the top of the Ohio Valley. But what you find to me in year in and year out with new coaches that take over programs those are teams that you find that steal wins throughout the season you know they may win a game they're not supposed to because they go out there there's no pressure they know they're not picked to win but if they go out there hustle and you know basically play a a mistake a mistake free game you know you, it's no saying what what could happen 
right? You know, and it's, it's one of those things I think, uh, like most coaches seem to, they just want to establish home court first. So, because you, know, you have your kids there, you can kind of keep their minds right. You know, you have, I don't know, there's different distractions on the road and being at home. But I just think if you can get those guys to buy in, like, hey, we have to protect this, they're coming here. And that's kind of where you start with things. And then, you know, success breeds success as well. So if you have a little bit of success at home, then take it on the road and, then maybe you sneak one out against, you know, one of those upper middle teams like an Eastern Illinois or a Tennessee State. And all of a sudden now you start getting moving in that that right direction if you're a school like SEMO. Absolutely. But I'm interested to see uh, see how a lot of these non-conference games um, come about for, you know, a lot of the Ohio Valley. I know I had just saw where I think SEMO basically just plays the Missouri Valley use that as an example because a lot of the mm-hmm. Missouri Valley schools are close to SEMO and I think it right. was Indiana State, Carbondale, Evansville, and then they had a home and home against Lipscomb. But I think you're going to see that a lot as a lot of these Ohio Valley non-conference schedules trickle out. I think there's going to be a lot of head-to-head this year, probably you know a lot more this year than ever before against Missouri Valley schools. Yeah, you have one right. or two games every year out of your whole non-conference schedule against the MVC. But I think there's going to be a lot more, probably over 50% um, for some of these schools, like Eastern Illinois and some of these other schools that are near, you know, the Missouri Valley Conference. Right. And just like the SEMO SAU football game that we talked about earlier, from what I understand that SEMO drove over Friday morning, you know, played the game, then loaded up afterwards and went home. Because, you know, Programs are trying to limit, you know, staying in hotels, how much they're eating out, things like that. And I think it's a, a double bonus for those teams to try and make those changes because then they're not, uh, you know, putting their kids at risk, but they're also saving a little bit of money, too. And if you figure for a football team, how much does it have to cost you to put a football team up for a night or two oh, no kidding. at a hotel? You know, so that's definitely got to come into play. and. You're not putting them in those situations. So, you know, like we said, a SEMO SIU situation, uh, you know, in eastern Illinois could probably be a, an easy drive to someplace like uh, Indiana State, things like that. So you, you'll probably see more of that this year for sure. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. Uh, have, have you seen any uh, non-conference games uh, trickle out for the Missouri Valley side? Uh, I was just kind of going through the ones that uh, we saw today. I know because I follow southern Illinois a little bit closer that they're playing in that Louisville MTE. They're going to start off with Louisville on uh, that Wednesday. And then uh, they're playing Winthrop. I don't think they play them till Sunday. And uh, I forget the third school that they're playing. You, North Carolina school, maybe. Okay. Look that up real quick as we're talking. But, uh, and then they have, they do have a game with SEMO. Uh, schedule. I think it's December 4th. So that's the big one I was looking at myself. So, Well, I know on the Ohio Valley side, Murray State had just released their uh, non-conference schedule uh, not too long ago. Actually, I think it was earlier today. And I know they have, they have home games against uh, uh, a team that's not Division One, And then, they, well, they have two games against teams not Division One. Um, but then their first row game is against Middle Tennessee. And who else did I see that they play? 
Yeah, Murray State hit they hit the road for a game against Carbondale. So that's December eleventh. Okay, because SIU doesn't have that on their schedule yet. So, but it's uh, Prairie View A and M is the second team. So they'll play at Louisville. What's called the Wade Houston tip off. Louisville, Prairie View A and M, then Winthrop, and then December second, not December fourth. And they'll play that game against Seymour. They'll play that game at Cape. But they're not reporting the. Uh, Murray staking, but I had heard that because I mean, it was supposed to be a home and home deal for those guys from the year before. Sure. And well, so, it's funny you say that about Prairie View because Murray State also plays Prairie View at home this year, too. So that's kind see, of. Yeah, I always remember Prairie View that years ago they had the football program. I'm talking you know, 25 years ago, the football program that had the longest losing streak in the country. So. You know, I'm, I, I really don't know much about them other than that. That's like I said, 25, 30 years ago. So I'm I'm waiting to see if I'm sure it's not going to be very likely, but it'd be nice to see if there was one team that, you know, outside, well, especially on the Ohio Valley side that plays against a power five school. I know Bradley plays against Mizzou, um, but I don't know how many OVC schools will, you know, have a chance this year to get a little money in those games. Obviously, you know, as we had talked to a couple other coaches prior, you know, a few episodes back, the money games or buy games, if you will, not going to be nearly what they've been in years past. So I think a lot of schools were looking away from that. Right. So, and And that's, that's one of the things that uh, Louisville said is that they were doing this MTE and bringing all these teams in so that they could avoid those buy games, you know, so trying to do it as a, as a means of saving for them as well. So well, yeah, because if you're if you're an MVC OVC team and you're not getting that money to play in that buy game, there's real really what's the point of playing against it? Yeah, it may help prepare you for your conference, but with having so so many fewer non conference games to to have a chance to you know boost your you know your it used to be the RPI, but now it's your quad one, quad two, three, right. four rating. Um, you know, you have fewer games to do that. So you need to put games on there that are going to show teams, you know, hey, they were competitive in this. Uh, you know, facing a power five school and losing by 45 points and not getting much money, it's probably not It's probably not worth it during this uh, college basketball season. Right. And looking through these schedules, I see that Purdue's uh, going to host Valparaiso on December 4th, but really it's, it's still just really trickling out. I know Evansville felt like they had their schedule out really early, but that's changed and they don't have anything posted. So, and, but here we are, we're what, two weeks away. It's got to figure something out soon. So, And I, I had seen where, I know Eastern Kentucky, they haven't released their full non-conference schedule yet, but I did see where they are playing in an MTE with, I think that NC State is hosting that, which, you know, there you go. It, it's kind of on all on who you know, you know, where it makes sense. You know, Coach A.W. Hamilton has uh, contacts down at NC State since he used to coach there. Right. Um, I know Eastern Illinois, they had released their non-conference schedule. They they are playing in an MTE at Marquette. Um, they also, what are they? I think they host Chicago State, and they also play Western Illinois. And then they play at Wisconsin, Green Bay, and Evansville. So they're playing just like a lot of other schools. They're playing a lot of schools that are near their campus to minimize the travel. 
but at the same time, you know, they're trying to, you know, use as many, use that full slate of non-conference games that they were given. And I think, I think, uh, you know, with Eastern Illinois being so, you know, having so many upperclassmen this year, I think they could, they could have a nice, nice time during non-conference season here. Yeah, it would be, like you said, it's always interesting to see how these things play out and uh, who knows what this impact is going to have coming out of this with the COVID and the schedules being all jacked up and you never know what's going to happen. You know, somebody's going to, somebody's going to have to take two weeks off too. Oh yeah. It's bound to happen. I know Illinois state's kind of run through it a couple of times already and people are like, well, the good thing is is that now they don't have to worry about uh, those kids for 90 days, but it's only those kids that have contracted it. Yep. You know, just because my teammate contracted it and I was okay, we quarantined just to keep us all safe, but you know, I could get it as soon as we come back or who knows. So, and then, you know, who gets, who maybe they're able to isolate it and only one kid gets it. Well, but that's, you know, uh, AJ green for Northern Iowa. That's, that's a huge difference as opposed to, you know, the red shirt freshman who's not getting to play much. Absolutely. Um, so. But while we're on the topic, I just want to throw it in there. Eastern Illinois also plays Butler. Uh, this season, wow. so that's a that'd be cool. That's a big. They playing that at home. They playing that at Hinkle. Uh, Hinkle Fieldhouse, November 29th. All right. So basically, cool. basically, they're playing that right after they wrap up the MTE at Marquette, which is around the November 27th time. So. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I. Th- and that's probably. What do you think it is from Charleston to? Indianapolis, hour and a half, two hours, yeah, two hours tops, I'd say. Yeah, I can't see it being more than two hours. Um, but th- they're going from there, from that Marquette MTE, which I believe Wisconsin's also part of. So I, th- I think Eastern Illinois will also be playing Wisconsin in there. So this, wow, there's some big games for them. So yeah, so Coach Spoonhour really trying to get his team bulked up, ready to go for conference play. As it looks like mm-hmm. those first couple games are going to be against some. Uh, some good, some you know quality teams for sure. Yeah. But, so yeah, yeah. So I was just thinking you know, we're, we're on the the uh, topic of uh, COVID like we always are, but just some actual news about it on the Missouri Valley side. Sam Cunliffe of Evansville, he was going to be their top returning scorer at eleven point two points per game. He has opted out, and then just I think it's been in the last week that Keith Fisher of Illinois State. He's also decided to opt out, decided family reasons. And uh, he was going to be the only senior for Illinois State, averaged nine and a half points and six boards per game. So it'd be interesting to see how those adjustments make it if we see more of this. So we've seen the numbers going up. And then non-COVID related, uh, Southern Illinois, Carbondale had uh, J.D. Mulia, the kid that they brought in, was uh, number 24 ranked Juco uh, player coming into this year. It's supposed to be a big body inside, but he actually had surgery on his knee. And originally they thought it was going to be six to eight weeks, but now they've changed that projection. They've decided he's out for the season. So that's a big loss for the Salukis. You know, there's another interior post presence that they're not going to have. So they're going to have to rely on um, probably their freshman, uh, Filowich and the transfer from, I believe it's Lewis University, Diabonzo. So just, okay. you know, but the injuries are part of it, you know, it, it happens all the time and mm-hmm. you have to adjust. You can't, can't mold over those types of things. So it's, it's always a uh, very liquid 
uh, landscape, so to speak. Yeah, and especially this year more than ever, a lot of teams are right. have to be adjusting on the fly, and it, it might be when you're – you know you're expected to go to a power five school or getting ready to play in this mte you know there's no that's there's no for sure reason that you may be playing in that mte someone may get COVID on a team and it might just ruin the whole that whole tournament Mm -hmm. for you so you know it's it's going to be a tricky slope and hopefully uh you know each program's up for the battle trying to uh minimize that possibility so, so uh, looking at the Ken Palm rankings, we don't have to necessarily go through them one by one, but uh, you know, we're talking about that before we started recording today. Was there any on the Ohio Valley side that stood out to you? I mean, obviously it's the big three up top right now, Murray State, Belmont, and Austin P. Is there anyone that was higher than you expected or just, you know, looking at the conference, having what, five teams ranked 300 or higher? which is the negative direction to go on Ken Palm. Have any thoughts about that? Yeah, well, when you look at, you know, those Ken Palm rankings, the 12 teams, it's obviously, you know, it kind of, it's a free fall in a way right after Eastern Kentucky. Eastern Kentucky's at 217, and they are fifth. So then you have Tennessee State at six at 284. So then from there, you know, I think Jacksonville State might be a little bit better than the 295 that they're showing. Um, I think they could be a sneaky, I don't want to say they're going to get up into the hundreds, but I could see them getting above 250, you know, maybe before conference play starts. Um, But when you look at the the bottom part with basically Tennessee Tech, Moorhead State, SIUE, Tennessee Martin, and SEMO, you know, all five of those, as you said, they are above – 310 and with i think there's what 356 357 teams at the d1 level i think it's 357 yeah so 357 and you have those those five teams slated in between 312 and 341 i think there could be a lot of movement there um you know we talked about coach brad corn being at semo not a lot of expectation i don't see why there couldn't be a couple games there that they could steal However, you you flip the script. Same thing at SIU Edwardsville. They could easily win a couple games they're not supposed to. Um, but Tennessee Martin being at three thirty eight, you know that was a program not even just a couple years ago that you know they were uh, right. they were giving people mm-hmm. to run for their money. So I think yep. it might be a little bit of a rebuilding year for them. Um, but when you compare all of them to the Missouri Valley, you know you have the Missouri Valley who is obviously the the Ken Palms are north and south of the OVC minus the the top three or four. Um, I Eastern Illinois at 168. Yeah, they're senior. They're senior led, um, and that might be why they are rated so high or so low, I should say. Um, but depending on how their non-conference slate goes, um, could be a very big indication on if they if they move up or if they fall because it's going to be a tough tough conference this year especially you know as we had said the murray the belmonts the austin Peas, and eastern kentucky is going to battle in there as well um but if there's one team i think that might be higher than i or lower than i thought i thought tennessee tech i thought moorhead state may have been ahead of tennessee tech um especially in the ken palm rankings 
Yeah, they're pretty close though, so it's not like you know they're just sure. five spaces apart. So, you know, I, and I've been told that these are pretty. The original or the initial Ken Palm rankings rely pretty heavily on the year before. And looking at on the MVC side, I think that's evident. Is Valparaiso is fifth at 147 for the MVC. I think having lost Javon Freeman Liberty above all else is, you know, they didn't really have that great of a year. They had a strong run at the end. And, you know, to get them that second place finish in the, in the conference tournament, I just thought that that feels awfully high, you know. But then you look at the teams right by, behind them, like Drake, they had six. You know, again, not real high on them, but Missouri State, a lot of question marks, a lot of transfers. And even you look at Southern Illinois, that while Coach Mullins did a great job last year, there's just some parts about that you kind of look at. There's a lot of changeover in roster. You worry about that sophomore slump. Now that Mulia is out, you know, how much does that impact their play? So I, I sit here and, and kind of yeah. think that Valparaiso shouldn't be maybe where they're at same time like well i don't know that those other teams will necessarily jump ahead of them either yeah so it'll be interesting maybe uh, we'll hold on to this and and look at it at the uh maybe the beginning of conference play and at the end of conf- at the end of the season as well and see how closely you know, how much movement there was and compared to what our thoughts are today so i think one thing we could do too i always like to do this on my own is i always like to wait to make my conference picks and projections after the preseason, excuse me, not the preseason, but the non-conference portion of the sure. season's over. So you can get a real feel about how those teams are playing and things like that. Well, that, and then making sure everyone's healthy and, you know, mm-hmm. you know, going that route. Um, yeah, that, that'd be something we could, we could definitely do. Um, the one area I did want to mention, and I must've been, you know, not paying much attention when we were talking about it. Austin Pease at 138 on the Ken Palm. And, I am a little surprised that they're that far down. I thought they would definitely be, uh, you know, maybe in the the high 80s or low 90s. I definitely thought that their 138 is definitely a little high, in my opinion, especially with having okay. Terry Taylor back, you know. Right, conference player of the year. and Exactly. Yeah, I can see that's, that's a, a decent argument, you know, and maybe, you know, I don't know what he puts into him. I mean, he does a lot more work than I probably could – understand especially with the math but i wonder what all goes into that too yeah that would that definitely be interesting to see what all uh what all goes into it that's for that's for sure but i think what we will have to do especially for non-conference i think we'll have to do a little side wager here on who gets more wins head-to-head the ovc or the mvc all right might have to uh put like a dinner on it or something dinner you think i want to eat what makes you think i'm a foodie or something I don't know. I guess I don't eat food either. <laughs> I don't know why I thought that. Shame on me. Yep, yep. Yeah, but, was, uh, that's my problem, though. Like, I can just eat, and someone's like, hey, where are you going to go to dinner? Want to go? Sure, I'll go. <laughs> that's, that's how I am. Yeah, twist my arm. Uh, I tell you what, uh, TJ, I think we got pretty in-depth this episode. We didn't have an interview this week. Um, hopefully, we'll have some interviews coming up. I know we've reached out to a couple people and we'll try and get some of those set up and um, get them uh, nailed down for a certain episode. But, TJ, I think that'll wrap up episode 22 here. You got any final thoughts? All right. Any final thoughts? Nope. Let's just keep uh, forging ahead, and hopefully that uh, we'll be talking 
actual on-court performance here in, within three weeks. You know, All right. what could make my favorite holiday of Thanksgiving even better that we're just going to have like a hoops junkie day the day before. <laughs> so it'll be fantastic. Yep. Couldn't said it better myself. Uh, so that'll wrap up episode 22 here on View of the Valleys. For TJ Hoover, I am Chris Smith. Thanks for tuning in. Be sure to tune in next week as we roll on with episode 23 and get so much closer to college basketball season. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple and give us a follow on Twitter at Pod. Enjoy the rest of your week. Have a good one, everybody. <laughs>